we have the same Bible. If we can get the Bible on the thing to be the same, it'd be awesome. Big font. Very cool. Yes, the big font Bible. That's what I use. Yeah, very big. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I hope you guys uh, had a wonderful morning up until this point. I hope you got to spend it with your family or your friends. Uh, or maybe you just sat by yourself and spent it with the Lord and contemplated uh, his defeat and conquest of death. Let us pray. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for this day of all days. Thank you for the day we celebrate your conquering of the grave and your defeat of death. And thank you so much that we are called by your name and get to be your children because that is the greatest privilege there is. In your name, Jesus, amen. Uh, please turn with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened about this that they, and it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling white. And as and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, with the other, also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And their words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only and went away to his home, marveling at that which had happened. <clears throat> There's many passages for Easter, but uh, I chose this one. Uh, it's a good one. But uh, sometimes, uh, you know, I've seen, pe I've listened to many Easter sermons, and I remember one time uh, that sometimes a sermon title can be accurate, or it can be what the Bible says, but it still might communicate a less than perfect message. I remember sitting in a sermon one morning when I was a kid, and the title was, He is not here. He has risen. And you know, that is what Luke 26 says. That's very accurate. Uh, Jesus can no longer be found in the tomb. That is the truth of God's message. Uh, he was not there. Uh, the title was accurate. But the sermon that I was listening to came centuries after uh, you know, this incident in the tomb. And the church who had 
was full of people. It was holding people like you who were waiting to hear that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he was here with us right now this morning. Uh, I, if I were the preacher then, I was too young to be the preacher then, but if I were, or if I had been the preacher then, I would have changed that title a little bit and said, Jesus has risen. He is now here. Uh, changing not to now, I think, changes everything for us listening to this message today when we read the Bible here in church. Uh, and now, I think one of the first things I notice when I read this passage is that we see confusion and fear give way in the hearts of these women to a confident faith and hope because Jesus has risen, because he is now alive in the world today. Uh, Back then, when the woman met the angels, though, they were just already blindsided by disappointed hopes, unmet expectations, their dreams were dashed, and they really did need to hear when, from the angels when they met them that Jesus was not there in the tomb. They were looking for Jesus in the very wrong place, okay, in death, and they needed to be reminded that Jesus' own words said he would rise from the dead on the third day. And they didn't understand those words uh, when they were given to them. And who's ever had a teacher explain something to you that even though you were listening and you understood what the words meant, the way the words were put together didn't make sense to you, so you forgot it? It's kind of like that, you know? Like, they may have wondered, like, hey, they, they may have asked each other, what does he mean about dying? Oh, it's probably one of those weird metaphorical things, because Jesus is always talking in parables, right? You know? It's kind of one of those weird, he's speaking about some deeper spiritual death reality thing that we just don't understand, you know, like he always is. Uh, we, I mean, it was not even in their brain that it could actually mean, no, I'm really going to die. Uh, and that just t still caught them off guard. And they needed, so they really were like, oh, right. When the angel said something, they really were like, oh, Wow. You know, because they were coming to the tomb expecting to care for a dead body. The spices they were bringing were for embalming a man who died on the cross. And when they arrive, they are confused because they were trying to embalm him, and the stone is rolled off to the side, and the tomb contains no body, just emptiness. Now, where is Jesus? His body had disappeared. I mean, and they are at a loss for what happened. If they have any inkling at all, they probably think that his body got stolen by somebody. And then these angels appear, these heavenly divine beings frighten the women. Uh, and uh, I think it's important to remember that angels in the Bible, uh, when people see them, they're not cute and cuddly, they're terrifying, and people always react in fear, awe, and worship to the angel. They just fall down and start worshiping this powerful being because he's so awesome, you know. Uh, and that's the normal response. And the women do just that. They fall down, they're about to start worshiping, and they just bow to the ground in front of these angels because these angels sit and stand in the presence of God or worship and exist in the presence of God 24-7 for all eternity. I mean, and I remember one time I had a pastor who was obvious he spent time in the presence of God and just, he wasn't like domineering or cocky or anything, but just his messages popped and people were just could feel the presence of God on him, you know, and kind of like in the Bible, in Joshua, Joshua would sit in the tent, Moses would sit in the tent and have to, Moses would have to cover his face. Nonetheless, though, these angels aren't here to frighten the women. Uh, they have come to reassure them, to remind them of God's word, to bring them back to faith, to, and to use that faith to bring them to new life. 
they did not do this with power and fear or shock and awe. It wasn't a glorious, they weren't trying to use God's undeniable glory to scare or shock these human women into faith and hope and trust and love in God. Instead, they just had a simple message, the simple message that we must believe. Uh, it's not the message of God as great and powerful. And, and we all know that, and I'm not denying that. I'm, that's most certainly true, but that doesn't create new life in us. That doesn't create faith and hope and love and trust in us. What does create new life in us is the simple message that Jesus is not here in this tomb because he has risen and he is now here with us everywhere. He has kept his promise. He died at the hands of sinful men. And now on the third day, he has risen from the dead, just as he said he would. He is not there in that tomb. And this is good news that the women needed to hear. And as soon as the angels speak, speak God's life-giving word, they come alive. They're, they come to themselves. Their brains turn on. It's like they finally had their coffee that morning. Oh, right, of course. Yes, yes, yes. They, they remember. They believe. You know, even though Jesus isn't standing in front of them, it's almost like they hear Jesus' voice kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi in a Star Wars movie, you know? Even though all they've seen with their eyes is an empty grave and some angels, they believe and they hear Jesus' words. They, they remember everything he said to them, and it all clicks into place, you know? And all of a sudden, they now have this active, living faith. They believe. They believe in the resurrection. They believe in Jesus in a whole new way that they never expected. You know, two minutes ago, they were like, where is God in all this mess? You know, and now they're like, wow. They just, they have faith. They're alive. They were dead, and now they are alive. They were wallowing in doubt. Where is God in all this mess? And now they are full of faith that God is with them in spite of the mess. And, of course, they dash away to tell the disciples the wonderful news of the first Easter morning. This confusion and fear were translated or trans they just changed like death into life they were changed to belief and hope and they know that if jesus is alive soon they're going to see him they they will know exactly just where he is he's not he's not he's no longer dead or gone he is with them he's in their hearts he's in their world and they are and they can't wait to tell everybody about it even though they haven't physically seen him which, obviously, to the disciples, uh, seems a little weird. And maybe it seemed a little weird to the women, too. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I wonder if we struggle with the same emotions as those women did back then. Sometimes we get confused and frightened. I don't watch the news anymore. I get all my news from uh, Mickey and Jerry and uh, Mike. I don't know if they're the most reliable sources, but that's where I get my news from. I just don't watch the news anymore. It's just too much of a mess. Uh, and it's easy to be frightened and overwhelmed, not at a stone rolled away or by encountering angels, but simply what life is throwing at us these days. Everything just seems off balance. It's like we don't even agree on reality anymore, or at least an interpretation or the meaning and significance of the events we see on the news. Uh, what some people see as justice, some people see as the most unfair thing to ever happen in the world. 
I mean, some people look at things and go play stupid games, win stupid prizes, and some people are like, <gasps> how could we let this happen? And in all of it, it's easy to go, where is Jesus? He doesn't seem to be here in America. When what I do see here is frightening uh, and scary. You know, uh, I mean, there have just been very, very, very controversial things happen in our nation, regardless of what your opinion on them is, you know? You know, uh, it's just, it, it, we are more divided than we've ever been. Uh, and regardless of what you think about any event in the news and the proper interpretation of it and who's right and who's wrong, I think we can all agree that uh, if there was ever a moment for biblical repentance in our nation and for the nation to heal and unite for biblical solidarity behind anything, that moment's been completely lost as people are overwhelmed with anger and hate and mistrust and just kind of going to their political camps and their own corners. Uh, we, see it, we see the nation fragmenting into tribalism over the most silly things. I mean, I had to unfriend three people on Facebook this week because they took Will Smith's side in the smacking uh, incident. You know, I mean, and if I can throw away relationships I've had for years over someone's opinion about Will Smith and Chris Rock, it kind of tells you where the state of our nation is. And it's easy to wonder, where is Jesus in all this mess? Uh, there's pandemics sweeping across the uh, nation. And, uh, you know, as a political analyst from Chicago, Rahm Emanuel said, uh, never let a crisis go to waste. We have government overreach and, for our own good, of course, and or maybe it's government overreach, but maybe that's my understanding. Other people see it's necessary in a decision to keep us safe, but we are divided over that too. Uh, at first, we locked down together and did try to do battle against this unseen enemy, and we were trying to learn how to protect one another and ourselves and keep our health care system from being overwhelmed. But as these months drag on and as this and the, the fighting takes over, it's just easy to be at your at each other's throat with even members of your own family, you know, about am I going to put the mask on today or not? You know, uh, you know, and it, it's really sad because not just Will Smith, but something as simple as a mask divides people into camps. Again, people are getting divorced over people's personal heartfelt feelings on the mask issue. And we hear the battle lines being drawn once again, the division, the mess, the mess that seems to have no love of Christ in it. Mm. You know, we hear about personal freedom. We hear, I don't need to wear one. We hear about our rights. The vir virus isn't that bad. 99% of it don't or, or survive. The media has overhyped the problem. We hear all these things. We need to get people back to work. The loneliness and depression is worse than the virus. We want to get together for Christmas. But wait, doctors and nurses are exhausted. We've run out of ICU beds. For those that are sick with other things, people can't get life-saving surgeries. Uh, other surgeries have to be postponed. Cancer treatments are being suspended. You know, protect your neighbor. If you really loved your family, it's your Christian duty to wear a mask. See, there's just so much spin. I mean, both sides claim political allies, and every, and every side believes... Have you ever noticed how everyone believes science is on their side these days? I mean, even in our church... I mean, I, mean, I don't mean our church here, but I mean, like, the overall American church. Even in the American church, the division is, rage, is raging on with some people not attending if they have to wear a mask, and, another, and others not coming if everyone's not wearing a mask. And it's so easy to just be left confused and afraid and wondering where is Jesus 
in all of this mess. And, you know, of course, in the middle of all this, Christ's bride, the church, is suffering. Attendance is going down. Churches have died left and right because they just couldn't survive the pandemic hit uh, to their uh, to their attendance, you know. And even when the virus has gone away, at least in this little pocket of America, uh, you know, it's really hard to go back to church after six weeks sleeping in on Sunday morning. I didn't want to come back, you know, and. And it's really sad because we're doing our best. We have a hard-working audio video. We've invested in audio video equipment. We've spent hard-earned money that you've given. We have technical people in the back that know how to work that stuff, not me, that post it up on Facebook every week. People in the church with technical know-how are posting or live streaming on Facebook, and we're trying to get the message out. And yet, honestly, if we look at those numbers, it feels like those people that were faithfully watching at church every Sunday in 2020 or 2021 aren't really watching anymore in 2022. Maybe that is my fault, who knows? Maybe they're just sick of me. Can't say I blame them. Uh, But when that happens, contributions disappear and programs and staff need to be cut. Pastors and church workers grow weary and even attacked for whatever they decide to do. You know, there's no right answer. No matter what you do, no matter what, no matter what, if you are a decision maker for people or a policy maker in the, uh, wild west 21st century of covid reality you will be attacked by somebody for whatever you do it's just a no-win situation on top of that we can't visit peoples i went to go bring a lay i went to go bring a lemonade and some lunch to someone in the hospital during the pandemic and got and it felt like things were over it was like in the summer last summer and i was not let at the door even though i'd done everything right and on paper i was supposed to be let in but the nurses in the front desk were like no just like a shadow, I was shadow banned from seeing a person in my own congregation, you know, and that was very frustrating. And there's just so many people ready to quit the church, ready to quit their jobs. And it's, I'll be the first to say, it's easy to be left alone and confused and wondering where Jesus is in this mess, just like those women going to the empty tomb. And sometimes the confusion and fear come not from the world or the country or even the church, Sometimes this confusion just comes from really close-to-home moments, Uh, you know, and whether it's a funeral or for a loved one or whether it's a sick person in your own family. People have died during this pandemic, and they really had. And when you give those funeral messages or when you attend those and when you see those dead loved ones, that you've had your whole life, especially me. I'm just at that age where I start losing my grandparents and my great uncles and actually having to go deal with funerals in my own family for the first time. It is just, death becomes real to you in a way that uh, never really is to you when you're in your 20s and 30s. Uh, and you, you see like the hands and arms of you know, your grandparents who were so strong, you know, fixing the carburetor for you or teaching you how to put in points and plugs, you know, and all of a sudden they just look so little and frail, and you're like, whoa. My grandpa used to have, he was, a, he was in the Navy, he worked in the engine room in the Navy, so he actually had Popeye forearms, like, even when he was retired at 60, he had Popeye forearms, and I, I thought that's how all people in the Navy had, because I watched Popeye, and my grandpa had Popeye forearms, you know, because he was doing things, you know, and so it was so weird to see those, to see, even through the coat, you could tell they were small, and that really messed with me. And it was so easy just to wonder, where is Jesus in all this? And it's times like this. It's times like this in our nation. 
and in our families and in our own personal lives that we need to hear more than others that Jesus has risen and that he is here. He is here now. He is good. He loves you. He, he is here with you. No matter what you're suffering, he has not abandoned you. He is in the middle of your suffering. I mean, Jesus is in God's word. Jesus is in your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is in the Holy Spirit living in your heart. That's the second Jesus. Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is everywhere we need him to be. And, we, and when we feel like he is not there the most, that's when he's really there more than we've ever realized. Uh, I mean, where is Jesus? We could look at so many passages, Matthew 28, 20, Romans 8, 39, but instead... I just want to read something from the Gospel of John. Where is Jesus? I mean, Mary Magdalene and Martha were grieved when their, son, when their brother Lazarus had died. You know, and this was before he got crucified, of course. And, you know, Mary ran out to him and said, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus was like, you know, in those ambiguous Jesus words, like when he talks about his own death and resurrection, you know, because remember, Mary Magdalene's one of the women that goes to the tomb, you know, uh, your brother shall rise again. And, of course, Mary's understanding it in that weird Jesus. What is he talking about? Well, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection, Jesus. I'm a good Orthodox, Bible-believing Christian, but that doesn't help me right now. I needed you here right now in this mess, not after I die in fire insurance mess. And Jesus said, and what does Jesus say to her? You know, I'm not, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that. You know, and Jesus was there in that moment with her. And he went out of his way, prayed to his father after he wept. And his father came through and did a solid for him and raised Lazarus from the dead even there. But, and while all of us have dealt with loss this year or this last COVID season, this Old Testament promise still stands. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our life, and he is here with us. The day will come when Jesus will return. We will see him face to face. As Nikki said in the gospel reading, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. Uh, you know, there will be no more old age. Everything will be, this whole world will be totally flame out, burned down, and reset. And we will live in a completely remade universe. All creation will live in peace and harmony without death. There will be only gladness. There will be no more division. Uh, our differences will be something to celebrate, not reasons to mistrust each other. There will be no more anger and hate. Grief will give way to rejoicing. The last enemy death will be destroyed because this Jesus here who rose from the dead, who was not in that tomb, is the first fruits. He is the sneak preview of the glorious resurrection day at the end that we will all experience. And this is encouraging because when you read passages from God's word like that, when you read promises like this, Jesus is moving and working in you. Jesus is living and breathing in your heart through his spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, Paul says. And he is living and breathing and working and reanimating you, building up your faith and renewing your hope through his Holy Spirit power.
And when that happens, when you have that new life, when you have that faith, what do we do? How, shall now, how now shall we live? What happens in our hearts? What did, what did the women do after being reminded by the angels of Jesus' word? After their faith came to light and their hope returned, well, in verse 9 it says, what does it say in verse 9? It says, they ran. They completely ran. What does it say in verse 9? And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. They ran back to the disciples and told the disciples. They didn't stay in the tomb, just glorifying in the miracle. They went back to their lives. It's so easy, you know, they went back to their lives with the risen Jesus present with them. Because we have lives worth living. I mean, everyone wants to, it feels like everyone wants to, like, sequester us in our little apartments forever. And, like, some, like, extended, extended death to, like, reset the world or something. I don't know what's trying to go. I don't know what's going on. But, like, we do have lives to live. God made us to live lives, not just to sit in our little apartments all by ourselves, focusing on only ourselves and navel-gazing and wondering about things. We have lives to live. We, and we need, to be, we need to bear Christ and go into every man's world with that Jesus inside us so that we can touch others with his love. When we leave this worship service, a service that Jesus has been present at, because he promised that he would be here with us. He said, wherever two or three are gathered, he is here with us. And when we leave this worship service to go celebrate Easter, I hope with our family and friends and loved ones, he promised he would be there with us. He is going to be there with us. We are going to carry him out with us. When we go back to our lives, when we go back to the bitterness and the mistrust and the offense and the injustice and the anger, often from complete strangers who know nothing about us, when we, go, when we go back to division and strife, when we go back to people who look at us through tribal lenses instead of seeing us as people, you know, to crucify us for the sins of the world or whatever else, when we go back to sickness and aging muscles, we do not go back alone. We go back with Jesus. We go back with a powerful message that he has risen and he is here now. I'm not going to lie, uh, this week uh, I was watching a Fred Craddock sermon about Easter for inspiration because Fred Craddock's one of my favorite preachers. Anybody know Fred Craddock? You can look him up. I think he died about 15 years ago or 10 years ago. He had a very long life. He's most, one of the most amazing preachers I've ever seen, and I love to watch his old sermons on, on YouTube. Uh, and uh, He was a well-known teacher and preacher from another denomination, one that does swing a little bit more to the other side than ours, and he died a few years ago. But late in his life, in a sermon, but late in his life, in a sermon entitled Jesus Saved, I can, if you want it, email it to me or text me, I'll send you the link. It's a great sermon. And in this, Dr. Fred Craddock speaks about a living faith, a faith that brings hope even when so much confusion and doubt can assail us in life. He said he first went to the Messiah thinking that wherever Christ could be, there or that wherever Christ was or would be, there would be no misery. That, that is how he thought as a young man and as a young Christian in a mainline, dare we say, you know, more traditional mainline denomination. 
But he says, as he became an older man, as the, 20th, as the optimism of the early 20th century disappeared, uh, he came to realize that wherever misery is, Christ will be there. I think I need to pause to let that sink into me. He, he came to realize, Dr. Craddock, Pastor Craddock came to realize that wherever misery is, that is where Christ is most present. Will our life in Christ be easy? No. But where there's misery, where there's a cross, Christ is there with you. We go out from this Easter service with that confident faith and hope. We go out with that simple message, regardless of the, whatever cross we are bearing, because he is bearing it with us, and he already has. He is the lamb slain from the creation of the world, and he is the lamb slain, and he is the great high priest still making us clean and pure and pleading for us and interceding for us in the, in the temple of heaven with his blood, according to Hebrews. But more importantly, today we celebrate that despite that eternal reality, he has risen here and now in this earthly space and time. He is here now. He is now here. And each of us will come to, the t to that time when the great last enemy death will confront us with all its ugly, frightening, and confusing reality. Because that's really all this cultural, family, and tribal, and political division is. It's just a foretaste of death, and that's why it feels so ch chilling to our soul. But ultimately, we will die someday, should our Lord tarry. And we will, and then, or someone else will. But either way, we're going to stand before that grave, and the test of faith will rise up from our souls as we face death one way or the other. And what is our hope in that moment? Our hope in that moment is that Jesus is here with us right now. In that moment in presence of death, I mean, this is why we do baptism. Baptism represents our death to life. We are dunked in death and we are resurrected. That's the symbolism behind baptism. We're going to die. Sinners must die. Jesus said we're all going to die the first death. But we have a hope and a faith in Christ that when we die in Christ with Christ, we will be raised with him as well. On this Easter morning, listen to the words of the angels. Remember how, what did the angels say to them? Remember what he told you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. The women staring at the empty tomb needed to hear these words, He is not here, but has risen. But we, for a living faith and a confident hope, need to hear those words repeated differently. We need to hear this message once and again. He has risen. He is now here. Amen. If you've never been able to say those words in faith, if you've never had, had the hope in Christ, if you've never realized that Jesus is conquering death on your behalf and dying for your sins on your behalf, the altar is open for your repentance. Either I or the uh, deacons will pray with you. Otherwise, go and serve the Lord in joy and gladness with 
the Holy Spirit, with Jesus' life in your heart, realizing he is with you wherever you go. Go and serve the Lord.